in May, June, we did a short series on what's the purpose of Charlotte Chapel. And I'm told by educators that the best way to really get things into people's heads is repetition. You're looking nervous now, aren't you? So I want to ask you this simple question. What is our vision? What is our vision? Now, now this, I know it's been three months. We had the summer. We were away. If you're new here, don't worry. It's not you. that You weren't here for this series. So, uh, so can we say together, what is our vision? All right. That, that's correct. That's, wait there, wait there. That's our vision. Wait there. To glorify God. All right. That's our, let's say a bit more confidence, shall we? What's our vision? Yeah, you just had one of those weeks, haven't you? Uh-huh. To glorify God, that's a just tremendous vision to have. Okay, that's our vision. Now, what's our mission? What's our mission? Oh, you're sounding perkier. That's good. To make disciples. Our, our vision is to glorify God. Our mission is to make disciples. And our goal, what's our goal? All nations. What an audacious goal. But that's what Charlotte Chapel is about. Our vision is we want to glorify God. Let's put that together. Next slide. It, it, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's what, we're, that's what this church is about. If you're visiting, it's your first time here, you're thinking, why is this place here? This is why we think we're here. We're here to, to glorify God by making disciples locally here in Edinburgh, Scotland, the United Kingdom, and also to make, uh, make disciples globally. Uh, we, we want to play our part as a church in seeing all nations being reached. And I, let me just remind you of our three-step goal. Do you remember what our three, the three action steps are? Reach, build, send. You can put that next one up. Reach, build, send. We want to reach out to the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to build up the saved with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to send out the trains with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is not a new thing. This is what Charlotte Chapel's been about for over 200 years. And uh, um, it's a joy that we have Andrew here with us today who sort of heard that call of being sent out back in the 1950s, but more of that in a moment. I was going to start a new series on Ecclesiastes today, but then when I had a chance to speak with Andrew this week, and heard some of the amazing stories of how God's worked in his life, and realizing that this might well be his last visit, I, I wanted to rehash a sermon I did back in this series. I want to give you the biblical basis of why we think this is a necessary goal, that we should make disciples of all nations. And then what we're going to have is an extended illustration uh, from the life of Andrew, how he's gone about doing this in India. And... Uh, So that's the shape of this morning. So let me just remind you of why we believe this is important. This is basics, isn't it? So uh, uh, let's go over the basics. First of all, it is commanded by Christ. Matthew 28. If you open your Bibles to page 1001 and look at Matthew 28, you'll come to the end of the book. So we've heard all about the life of Jesus Uh, uh, Matthew's recounted it, how Jesus came in fulfillment to the Old Testament scriptures. We've seen his amazing teaching, his amazing miracles, the way he's gathered disciples to himself. He's talked about the kingdom of God coming. And then he talks about how his death is central. And he dies on a cross, and then he's raised from the dead. And he meets with his disciples, and he says these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why do we think this is important to make disciples of all nations? Because Christ has commanded us to do that. So we've thought that it's not just about getting decisions. We're actually to make disciples. Um, They are commissioned not merely to explain the gospel. They're also uh, about the business of helping people uh, identify with Christ through baptism. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are to teach uh, people to obey everything that Christ has commanded. So it's more than just the initial decision. It's about learning the significance of what it is to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and grow in that discipleship, obeying all that Christ has said. And it's not just uh, about that. It's not just local. It's global. And you see the logic there in, uh, in, in Matthew 28. Because all authority has been given to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth Jesus commits his disciples to make disciples of all nations. Because he has all authority, therefore all the nations must hear. A universal Lord demands a universal mission. He's not merely king of the Jews. He's king over all the nations, over all the peoples. And so there's no part of this world where Jesus is not Lord, and they need the opportunity to respond to his lordship and receive his salvation. And the disciples were very clear about this. Uh, Just think about Peter as he preached. Uh, In Acts chapter 4 it says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's why we as Christians, why we as Charlotte Chapel, are committed to having a global vision of the spread of the gospel. Uh, We want to get about the work here locally, but at the same time, we want to have a heart to continue being involved in a work globally, that all the nations might be glad, as we read in our psalm today, as they find in Jesus their Lord and Savior. Second reason why we believe we have to go to all nations, because it's always been God's plan. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. You'll find this on page 1062. Page 1062. Disciples had seen Jesus die by crucifixion. The women had seen him buried in the tomb. And then on the Sunday morning, there was this uh, shocking news that the tombstone had been rolled away. The body had gone. And there was news spreading that people had seen Jesus alive and well, resurrected from the grave. And there he appears before the disciples himself in verse 44 of Luke chapter 24. And this is what Jesus said to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. 
making disciples from among all nations was always God's plan. And we can see that by the fact that the Hebrew scriptures uh, that were completed 400 years before Jesus are full of God's promises and intent that he would bless the whole world, that he would bless the whole nations. And um, the whole of the Old Testament, in essence, is looking forward to the Savior that God promised that he would send. And Jesus came in fulfillment to all those promises. Jesus saying all that was uh, promised about this way of salvation and this salvation that I would bring in is all about me. And there are three things specifically that, uh, that Jesus says must be fulfilled because God has declared it in his words. Three things that must be fulfilled. They're there in verse 46 to 47. First thing, that Christ must suffer. That, 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 that God's appointed king who would bring in this everlasting perfect kingdom into this messed up world, that he himself would experience suffering and death. And as Jesus was on the cross, he, he quoted the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scriptures foretold that it would have to be so. His suffering and his death were absolutely essential so that the problem of our sin could be dealt with. Punishment had to be meted out. And Christ came to take that punishment in the place of all those who will put their trust in him. He had to suffer. Secondly, uh, Jesus says in verse 46, um, that the, it was written that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. So King David wrote this psalm, Psalm 16, where he had this promise that because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. In promises like that and other places, we see that the Old Testament looked forward to the fact that the Christ would not only suffer, but that he would be raised again. And there Jesus was, standing before them. Um, as impossible as it might seem, because dead people don't rise, here was this man who was dead, and he did rise. And he stood before them, bearing the marks of his crucifixion. And uh, he really rose from the dead in fulfillment of the Scriptures. But do you notice that there was a third part that has not yet been fulfilled? Do you see that? Look back at verse um, 47. So the Christ will suffer rise from the dead on the third day and this is the third thing that must happen according to the scriptures and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem this has always been God's plan God has set in motion this plan of salvation all the ancient prophecies uh, and promises fulfilled in Jesus that he would suffer and die that he would be raised and that the good news would be proclaimed to all nations that there is repentance and forgiveness of sins possible for those who will repent and turn to Christ. That's what the scriptures are pointing us to. And that's exactly what the disciples do. They wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And as the Spirit fills them with his power, they proclaim the good news of Jesus. This really is the great mark of being filled with the Spirit that will speak of Jesus. And Peter stands up before the uh, crowds in Jerusalem, many who were there at the time where Jesus was crucified, and uh, he preaches to them. And he says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, to the other apostles, Brother, what, what should we do? And he replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So from the giving of the Spirit... At Jerusalem, the message goes out to Judea, to Samaria, out to the ends of the earth, even at the end of the book of Acts. There is Paul in Rome still proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ. And we are the continuation of that story. Here we are in Edinburgh in 2012, uh, singing the praises of King Jesus because people took this glorious gospel out and passed it on. Here we are today. So why do we care about making disciples of all nations? Well, because Christ commanded it. Because it's always God's plan. And the question is, well, how's the project going? Is there still some work to do? And here's the great news. There's still some work to do. It is still an unfinished task. Um, When we think about nations, we tend to think about political nations, don't we? Like Nigeria or Afghanistan and the like. But actually, the word nations there is the word ethne, from which we get the idea of ethnic group. And I think what was envisioned in this call to reach all nations is to reach all the ethnic groups in the world. Um, We looked at some stats last time. Let me put them up there. There's a a website called the Joshua Project that says there are about 16,350 people groups in the world. And about 6,600 of those are still unreached or least reached. You see those red areas? Those are the least reached or unreached people groups where they are. And this represents about 40% of the people on the planet. That's 2.8 billion people. Now that's kind of overwhelming. So let's just narrow it down. Let's think about India. Let's go to the next slide. Here's India. India is overwhelming. If you look at the stats on India as a whole, that's an overwhelming country. And it struck me when I just considered this one little state of Uttar Pradesh, which is where Andrew lives. In this one state, there are 200 million people. So how many have we got in Scotland? About 5 million, is it? Britain? About 60 million? In this one state in India, there are 200 million people. They estimate that there are, let's see, the number of people groups, about 594 people groups in this state. And 0.1% of them are Christian. I remember when I prepared this sermon originally, uh, it it just struck me afresh how how much of a challenge there still is, how much there's still yet to be done, and um, how strategic Andrew's ministry has been to be located in Uttar Pradesh. Let me show you some pictures of some of the people there. I mean, there's 594 people groups we could go through. The majority of them are, are essentially... Uh, unreached or least reached. There's the Yadav people. Uh, Within this state, there are 13 million who are Hindu. Um, Or the Sheikh people. Within this state, there are about 10 million predominantly Muslim. There's about 200 million over the whole region, but there's about 10 million living in this particular state. Or another group that we're becoming fond of here, the Taru people. Um, there are about 100,000 people within Uttar Pradesh, but there's about 404,000 people uh, in this region, about 0.2% Christian. 
So there's still a great unfinished task. And uh, I want us just to now reflect uh, with the illustration of uh, somebody's life about this task. So uh, I'm just going to come down here because Andrew's legs aren't great. And Andrew, I'm going to get you to come up here. 